from Maui, Hawaii. It's 1 o'clock Pacific time. It's 11 in the morning out here in Hawaii. It's 4 o'clock in the east and 21 hours universal time. Great to be with you for another Ageless Wisdom Mystery School today. My name is Michael Benner, and we'll be here in the free forum for about 25 minutes. We'll finish with a meditation exercise, as we do every week, and then we go over to the premium training beginning at 1.30 Pacific today for another 90 minutes. So in all, we have a two-hour class this Sunday and every Sunday, and everybody gets to come for the first, what, quarter, the first 25 minutes of that. And then if you'd like to join us in the extended premium training for the following 90 minutes, all you have to do is enroll at our website, theagelesswisdom.com. And I never tire of uh, having to say that the T-H-E is part of it. There is a site called agelesswisdom.com. That's not us. We're theagelesswisdom.com. The W's dot theagelesswisdom.com. Just click on webinars and then premium training, and you can enroll with your bank card, your ATM card, for uh, just a couple of bucks. Actually, there's three ways to enroll. You can register for a single class, even the one that's just about to begin or has begun. The thank you page will contain the URL link and also the password that you need to listen live by web or telephone. And replays are available at that same link. And so it's true for the premium training as well. If you're not able to listen or if you are distracted in the middle, have to go do something, the replays are always available for both the free forum and the premium training. Just hold on to the email that you get because unlike the free forum, which is podcast and post on the Internet, the tuition-based premium training, of course, uh, you've got to hold on to the email that gives you the password and the web link, the URL to attend. You keep track of those, and you'll always have them. Our topic today, synchronicity and magical thinking. This is... uh, I think a fascinating subject. Synchronicity, as we'll discuss at length in the premium training, and of course I'm going to talk about it a little bit here, is a concept and a word coined by the psychiatrist Carl Jung. And, uh, you know, there are a handful of psychiatrists or psychologists who in the late 19th and early 20th century were really pioneers. Certainly Freud was one. Jung is another. He was Viennese. And Carl Jung was sort of the mystic among psychologists or technically psychiatrists like Freud or Wilhelm Reich. Jung being as I say, a bit of the mystic, was one who really felt that awareness or consciousness 
was independent of the material world and in many ways bridged the gap between spirit and matter or uh, what a scientist like Einstein, for example, a contemporary in many ways, would call energy and mass. Remember, Einstein put the equal sign between energy and mass. Many others had said there's only ultimately uh, two categories of reality, two things, if you will, that we have to work with in the universe. One is energy and one is material things. Uh, the energy can be everywhere and can commingle, just like radio waves remain discrete. They don't get mixed up, and they occupy the same space at the same time. Particles or mass, material objects, obviously stand separated and apart and cannot occupy the same space at the same time. But Einstein said, you know, they're really two forms of the same thing. Well, in mysticism, and what really has become Jungian psychology or in some ways transpersonal psychology, it's understood that there is spirit and matter or energy and mass. But then there's a third element, and that's conscious awareness. The idea that the universe is imbued with awareness is not really addressed by empirical science, by material scientists. And when it is, it's stated, or I guess the basic premise, is that consciousness or awareness, you might call it sentience, I think, therefore I am, that's Descartes' version of it, somehow is a function of this material thing called the brain. And that when the brain dies, consciousness dies. But there are many, many people, whether they're oriented through science or philosophy, uh, mysticism, that see consciousness is existing independently of any material brain, that the brain is the organ of the mind, that the mind itself embraces the entire self. There's no part of the physical body of human beings or even animals or plants, for that matter, all living things, that are not part of the mind of the human being or the animal or the plant. In fact, a hardcore mystic includes so-called inorganic non-life as well, that the one life that exists imbued by this consciousness includes rocks and dirt and, you know, clouds and atmosphere and interstellar gases and that all of the kingdoms, the physical, material kingdom, the inorganic, mineral kingdom, so to speak, as well as the plant, animal, and human kingdom, technically human kingdom is part of the animal kingdom, that all of these kingdoms at various levels or degrees are imbued with conscious awareness. 
Now, Carl Jung called this the collective unconscious. He said, you have a conscious mind, you have a personal unconscious, but there's also a collective unconscious. And this is really why we identify Jung more as a mystic, really, than a, a psychiatrist, although he was really both. He said this collective unconscious self corresponds to consciousness in a way that really focuses on that part that all beings share. Again, a collective level of unconsciousness. Consciousness would include then both the unconscious aspects and the conscious aspects. Together we call that consciousness, we call that awareness, and probably the best synonym for it is understanding. You've always heard about higher consciousness or expanded awareness. What does that mean? Well, it really means to be aware of yourself and to understand that your awareness of your thoughts is more real than your thoughts, that your awareness of emotional feelings is more real than the feelings, because the thoughts pass. Gee, I used to think this, but now I believe this, right? The feelings pass. No feeling lasts forever. Good or bad, happy or sad, feelings pass. So philosophers have always said, how true could a thought be how much truth is there in an emotional feeling if they're transitory, if they're permanent, if they never last? <laughs> keep keep changing, you know, the, that classic line from uh, Heraclitus or maybe Heraclitus, depending on what your philosophy teacher told you. No man steps in the same river twice, all right? Why? Well, the river moved downstream. It's gone. You come back a minute later and step into that same river. That river is downstream. And uh, it's an allegory, it's a metaphor for the idea of impermanence, that everything in the material world is constantly in flux. It's temporal and it's changing. So how real could it be? So if your thoughts are always changing, you're not your thoughts, but you could be your awareness of the thought process. And if your emotions are always changing, well, you got to be more than how you feel. So the awareness of your thoughts and feelings is identified as the essence of who or what you are. That consciousness, that awareness is understanding. And in the same way, you're more than your physical body, certainly more than your money, more than your stuff. Some people think they are the car they drive or the clothes they wear. I mean, you say, well, they don't really believe they are the house they live in or the clothes they wear or the money. Yeah, they really do. <laughs> many, many people really believe they are their stuff or at least their body. And it's only a pretty remarkable person that discerns a difference between thoughts and feelings and their awareness of thoughts and feelings. Clearly Jung 
was one of those guys. And so the idea of consciousness or awareness being shared on some level, that's what the collective unconscious of Carl Jung is really all about. Now, there's a lot of stories I could tell about Jung. One is that in the 19-teens or 1920s, as fairly young man still, he was traveling in a very remote area of the African continent, areas where the indigenous people of Africa had, for the most part, never even seen a European, never seen a white man, never seen anybody with blonde hair and blue eyes, for example. And yet, as Jung came into this particular village, so the story goes, he noticed a group of children playing in the center of these grass uh, huts, these thatched huts. And as they were running around and jumping and playing, much like European children or children anywhere in the world, he heard them singing out in syllables he did not understand, but it sounded sort of like, na-na-na-na-na-na. And he went, whoa, that, what? And he listened more carefully, and they did it some more. It was, da-da-da-da-da-da, whatever were the words. Neater, 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 right? But it was that melody, da-da-da-da-da-da, that was so European and so part of his childhood. And every American kid knows that tune. Well, how could these Africans have picked that up from the Europeans? Or how could the Europeans have somehow been enculturated by this melody, this little two-bar phrase, da-da-da-da-da-da? How could the Europeans have picked that up from the Africans or vice versa? There is no contact. There was no reason to believe that they had learned it from each other. It must have occurred spontaneously somehow. And as the story goes, this and several other well, incidents in Jung's young life, <laughs> Jung's young life, caused him to postulate that perhaps we shared a level of consciousness, that, uh, you know, we are separate in form, but on some level of mind, we're unified that we can think for ourselves with the conscious mind and even the personal part of the unconscious is unique to the separated self. But nevertheless, as you trace it back, apparently, he postulated, there is a level of mind, a collective unconscious, where we spring from the same source where we share the same information. And so he began to work with dreams, and he found that the symbols, the metaphors and the allegory in people's dreams often were personal and many times were cultural. But having said that, there were also these elements in people's dreams that were universal, 
that regardless of the culture, could be an Asian culture like remote areas of Mongolia and Tibet, uh, a symbol like water or fire in a dream was understood to mean the same thing that it would mean to a European or an African or somebody from the Middle East, say Persia. Their understanding of these dream symbols was, to a large extent, uniform throughout the world. Again, even though he was comparing places where there had been virtually no contact, very little or or no contact, and certainly no grand discussion about the nature of dreams and dream symbols. And yet all over the world, there were these common universal dream symbols, which Jung, again, coined another word for that. He called those archetypes. So now we have the collective unconscious. We have the idea of an archetype that we tend to think in the same way in a kind of a universal, non-cultural sense. Some part, again, not all of our thoughts, some of them are cultural, some of them very personal, but many of our thought patterns and our belief systems are shared as evidenced by these dream symbols and the the way they were interpreted by people, these so-called archetypes. And then the third term, besides collective unconscious and archetype, I want to tell you about is synchronicity, which is our topic today. And a synchronicity is a meaningful coincidence. And I suspect that everybody has had, on numerous occasions in their lives, coincidences that have caused you to sit up and take notice. A uh, time when you were, well, let's use some of the examples I used in the newsletter. Um, you're thinking to yourself as you walk down the street or ride in the bus or drive the car. You're thinking to yourself about something, oh, not very common, something strange or unusual pondering an idea, an issue, or a concept that you don't normally find yourself thinking about very much, when suddenly it's reinforced, seemingly, by some sort of coincidental event. Perhaps you pass a billboard that has a graphic or a word on the billboard that is about the same thing that you're thinking of, and it just strikes you as odd. And maybe you dismiss it. It's likely initially as a young person, you just sort of shrug and drop it and don't make much of that meaningful coincidence. In other words, you have a feeling in your body or it occurs to you in your mind in such a way that it feels like there's a cause-effect relationship. But you just can't figure it out. You can't understand how in the world would it be that you're thinking about this, and you come around a corner, and suddenly there's this billboard you never saw that says the same thing. And then maybe it happens a third time later in the day. Somebody in conversation says the same thing. You go, oh, my God, I'm surrounded by this today. What's going on? Again, most people just dismiss it. 
Because even though they have a feeling that there's some kind of relationship between these coincidental events or circumstances, they just can't figure it out. What's the cause? What's the effect? It's like you think of someone that you know but have not thought of in a long time. Say, oh, yeah, whatever happened to Joe or Sally, so-and-so, I, gosh, I forgot all about them. I wonder what they're doing. And just then the phone rings and it's them. Whoa, what is that about? Is that truly co-incidental? Is that just a remarkable throw of the dice? Some random occurrence that just co-incidentally happened in conjunction as if there were a relationship? And you're telling me there is no relationship because I can't understand what that would be. Which is the cause and which is the effect? Did this person call because they popped into my mind? Did I send some sort of request on the royal telephone of telepathy? Or was it the other way around? They're over there in their place thinking of me, looking up my phone number, thinking about ringing me up, and for that reason, they pop into my mind, which is cause and which is effect. Well, what I want to introduce to you, to get you to really stretch your brain here today, and we'll go into this in detail in a few minutes when we step into the premium training. But I want you to think about this, too, here in this free forum, which you may be listening to live, and you may be listening to streaming or by podcast. Most people listen to this class podcast, but here's what I want you to consider. That there is no cause and effect. In the typical sense, cause and then effect is a way of talking about action in the physical, material world. Like Newton's laws of physics, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. I believe that's the third law of motion. And there's others, like, uh, well, if there's a third, there must be a first and a second, right? Like an object at rest tends to stay at rest, an object in motion tends to stay in motion. There are laws of inertia and momentum and reaction and action, energies and forces and resistance. And yet that all has to do with objects, physical, discrete objects acting upon other objects. And we say we live in a cause and effect universe. And it's somewhat satisfying (laughs) that we can discern laws of physics and understand the relationship of cause and effect. But when you get to consciousness, you're really, you're really bridging the gap between energy and mass, between wavelengths and particles, between spirit and matter. Consciousness stands one leg in both worlds. Consciousness is understood in philosophy to have its source as an energy 
but living beings, at the very least, in the material world with separated physical bodies are imbued with this consciousness. So if your awareness, your consciousness, your ability to understand a thought without being the thought or discern a feeling without being the feeling, you know, like you could look at your anger with curiosity and feel the anger but not be an angry person because you're aware of the anger, you see. There's a certain separation where I am not what I experience emotionally and mentally. I mean, I am affected by it, but I'm more than that. So if consciousness goes beyond the limits of the physical world, then it goes beyond cause and effect. And if it goes beyond cause and effect, then maybe the whole idea of who called who and why is meaningless. The phone rings shortly after you think of somebody that you rarely think of and haven't heard from in a long time. You want to know, did my thinking of them cause them to call, or did I telepathically sense I was going to get this call, and that's why, well, maybe it's both, and maybe it's neither, and that's synchronicity. We have to trace, if we want to take a nice, deep, comprehensive look at the nature of meaningful coincidences and how it relates to what we call magical thinking in psychology. I'm going to compare and contrast the two. What is magical thinking? How does this bear upon the law of attraction? You know, I knew that was going to happen, and I believed it was going to happen, and then it happened. To what extent did you bring that about? Or was the fact that it was going to happen a part of destiny, and that's why you were able to believe it? Maybe we make an error if we try to break it into cause and effect. Maybe it's both, cause and effect. Maybe it's a simultaneous synchronicity, a function of the fact that there's just one of us here. There's just one life, one mind, and one heart. That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's take just a minute to close your eyes and consider that without too much thinking or feeling. Take a breath and relax and create a sense of deep peace. And think about meaningful coincidences in your life, times that you were absolutely amazed that this happened and that happened right on its heels, and they seemed so related to you, yet you couldn't quite sort it out, so maybe you dismissed it. Feel in your body, move your awareness from your head down into your torso. And feel in your body where you feel synchronicities and meaningful coincidences. And notice the tendency to lift it back up into your head to try to reason your way through it. Well, what caused what? What led to what? How is this a chain reaction? 
like dominoes. Maybe it's not. Go back into your body and just feel it. It happened. You're aware of a relationship. Could that be enough? Is there a simultaneousness to it? Where cause and effect are so interrelated that you can't separate them the way a chain of dominoes falling demonstrates cause and effect. Something that you can explore at your leisure in these states. Take a breath. And as you exhale, relax even further and open your eyes wide awake back in the room. Feeling fine, rested, refreshed, better than before. That's a little intro for you. Now we're going to jump over to the premium side. I hope you'll join us. You can enroll for a single class a 13-week term or a full year, the information you need to join us, the URL and the password will be on the thank you page. And thanks for being here. Aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and we'll talk to you next week.